We are going to be live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. You know I love it. It's one more first for the podcast. It's a special Father's Day edition. And, um, you know, Father's Day happens once a year. Um, and, you know, being a father is a, is a huge responsibility. It's not an easy job. Um, and sometimes when you're doing a good job, it can feel like a thankless job. Um, and there's a lot of complexity to the idea of a father. Um, and I wanted to take a moment and just recognize, um, my father and, uh, talk a little bit about the things that I feel, uh, make him not only a great father, but a great person. And, uh, you know, I think appreciation, um, is one of the most important aspects of life. Gratitude is one of the most important aspects of life. And I feel like a lot of times people don't express their gratitude or appreciation, um, when they could slash should, and rather, they wait until it's it's too late, and it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, so I wanted to take this particular moment in time, this particular Father's Day, and I wanted to uh, to do exactly that. So um, we're going to have a Father's Day special. Yeah, the crowd loves it, and so do I. All right, so my dad. Uh, where do I begin? First of all, I'm going to say this is going to be an abbreviated list of all the amazing things I could say about my father. Um, I would need a lot more than a podcast to express it, but I'm going to do my best to bring it into a highlight reel. Um, and, and hopefully I can, uh, end up communicating, um, the qualities that, um, that my father possesses and that he uh, demonstrated to me when I was growing up. Um, so again, I'm not even sure where to start, but here's where I'll try to start with some of the things that were, you know, I'll try to go outside in, okay? Um, so from the outside, you know, he was a huge music fan, and he was not only a huge, is a huge music fan. When I was growing up, he was a huge music fan. And uh, he used to have this turntable with a ton of vinyl. And it wasn't just music. Like, I, I was lucky enough to, to not be uh, in a house where people were listening to garbage. You know, he had great taste in music. He listened to um, the good stuff. He was a huge Dylan fan, but he also appreciated Bob Marley. And he appreciated The Clash. And he was also someone that was able to... Uh, listen to and enjoy new music. So his LP collection at any given time had, um, you know, uh, Nana, 99 Luff Balloons, The Clash, uh, The Rolling Stones, um, Blondie, Bob Dylan, of course, over and over again, Steely Dan. I could go on and on, but it gave me such a rich appreciation for what music can be. Um, and to not pigeonhole yourself into just one thing. And uh, he really liked getting into the lyrics, too. Um, I remember him 
on many occasions kind of explained to me what the words meant or what he thought they meant uh, and why some musical groups were better than others. He uh, had no problem um, telling it like it is. He still is that way now, <clears throat> um, which I love about him. So anyways, thank you for being a huge music fan because you definitely uh, imparted that to me. Uh, there are uh, other things too. Sense of humor. Um, I, I watched some of my first really funny movies with him. Uh, Woody Allen movies, Sleeper in particular. I remember just kind of almost in, in a, a two-hour period, <clears throat> I remember kind of figuring out what funny was. You know, it was um, watching that movie and watching my dad laugh at certain points in that movie um, was was really was really special. And I can go on and on. Stripes, meatballs, you know, the, the list of Caddyshack, the list of, um, you know, funny movies, uh, funny TV shows that he, um, you know, brought to my eyeballs. Uh, I could I could never I could never thank him enough. He had a VCR early, and we used to get. You know, he would go out and get funny movies from a long time ago. Uh, you know, we got some Three Stooges. We got some um, Marx Brothers. I mean, everything. It's just, again, in the same way that music was a broad canvas to choose from, you didn't want to pigeonhole yourself. Same thing with comedy. He could appreciate every type of comedy. And um, so thank you for, for that as well. Um, so let's get serious for a moment. So my father is a cancer survivor. Um, and back in 1991, I remember getting a phone call from the home base in Rye, New Hampshire, uh, essentially telling me that, um, my father had cancer and it wasn't good and, uh, that he probably wouldn't make it. And, um, there was, uh, a woman who was in pathology at uh, the hospital that he was in who had told a mutual friend of ours that uh, basically there was no chance uh, of him surviving. Um, They gave him, I believe it was, an eighth of a percent chance to make it in 1991. And I'll never forget when I I heard that, you know, it was kind of really hard to wrap my head around but then when I saw him for the first time after I heard that, I wasn't getting the vibe from him that he believed it. And that's because he never did. He uh, heard what people were saying, and he chose to believe that something else was going to happen to him and that he was going to make it. And he had super experimental surgery. He had super experimental treatment. Um, he never, ever... Um, lost faith in himself. Uh, and I remember one day in particular, I was home and there was a, it, it was kind of like all of his friends were coming to, it's in a sad way, but coming to say goodbye to him. And I'll never forget seeing a couple of his friends leaving his house. And the look on their face was just, you know, sadness, horror. But then I look up and my dad's on one of our many decks. He was a big fan of decks. God, we had decks all over that house. Um, easy to sneak out of. So thanks again, Dad. That was another huge plus. You made it a lot easier for me and my brother, I'm sure, did the same thing that I did, uh, to get out of the house because we had a lot of access points. So thank you for that. Um, 
But what I was going to say was he was up on the deck, and as everyone's walking away horrified and sad, he's got this big smile on his face, and he's waving. He's like, I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. And he never, ever doubted that he was going to get better. So in the same way that he taught me something as, you know, um, simplistic and 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 uh, fun as music and comedy, he also, without even trying, without giving me any lecture, you know, he taught me the importance of, A, always believing in yourself no matter what, and B, uh, never stop fighting. And I don't even know if he realizes that he... Um, taught me those lessons, but, uh, but he did. And here we are. That was 1991. It's 2022. And the man is still sharp as attack. He's coming back up. He lives in the Caribbean. Won't say exactly where, because, you know, I'm not sure if he wants his spot blown up, but lives in the Caribbean, comes back every once in a while in the summer. And he's coming up this summer. And, you know, to say that I'm in awe of his ability to just battle through uh, that particular situation and prove everybody wrong. I'm talking about everybody wrong. He was, you know, maybe one of three or four people, five people, including myself, that believed it. Uh, the minute he said it out loud uh, that he was going to beat it, I believed it, and I never, I never thought it's. And and this is the honest to God's truth. The minute I got the phone call, I was sitting on the steps of the Lambda Chi house. I'd probably just smoked a joint, and I got that phone call. <clears throat> kind of a buzzkill, um, to be honest. But I, I quickly sobered up, and I, and I, even at that point, when I heard somebody who you know is an intelligent person telling me, "Your father's not going to make it," I never, I never really believed it. Maybe I didn't want to believe it, but it never really registered as true. And um, and God damn it, if he didn't beat it. So uh, thank you for being a fighter, Dad. Uh, thank you for being my t-ball coach. Um, <clears throat> this is still a mystery. This is an unsolved mystery that maybe will always go unsolved, although I've got a couple of guesses. So like most six or seven or eight-year-old boys, however old I was at the time, I wanted to play baseball. So I signed up, and I was put on a t-ball team, the Indians. That's right. Rye Little League had a team called the Indians. Can't call a baseball team the Indians anymore, but we had one back then. And I remember signing up, and, you know, I couldn't sign the paperwork, so all that was filled up on my parents. You know, I brought it home. And um, all of a sudden, my dad says, hey, you signed me up to be a coach. And I said, no, I didn't. And he looked at me like, bullshit. I know you did. And I really hadn't. Um because I knew that he, you know, he was a hardworking guy, and he wouldn't have been able to be at practice right when school got over. You know, he he was working six, sometimes later, to get overtime, um, and practices were right after school, two thirty, three, whatever time it was. But anyways, instead of saying I can't do it and telling the Rye Little League, sorry, but you have to find another T-ball coach for the Indians. Um, he decided he was going to do it, and he was my coach that year, and it was awesome. And he used to um, take a break from work to come for practices, um, to come to games, and um, it was awesome. Um, so thank you for for being my, my t-ball coach. Um, also, thank you for caring about my uh, education, um, no matter what it took. So... It's school, I, look, this is going to sound, 
I'm not sure if this is going to sound good or bad, but school always kind of came too easy for me. I, I didn't try that hard in school, um, to be honest. It's like I kind of, you know, did the bare minimum, but I always got A's and B's. Um, and, but then that changes, right? You can do that until like 10th grade math. And then once you get into like advanced math, you know, algebra 2, um, there's just no way around it. You're going to have to put the work in. And I was more interested in, you know, things that weren't school. Um, but my dad um, recognized that what I needed was just to apply myself and I'd be fine. And so what he did was he instituted a one-hour mandatory homework hour. Uh, yeah, one-hour mandatory homework hour. That makes sense, Ethan. Yes, it was an hour, 60 minutes. How many different ways can I say that? 30 minutes less than 90. For one hour every night, I couldn't get on the phone. Um, and, and back then, phones weren't something that you held in your hand and were able to you know, trade Bitcoin with somebody in Guam uh, phones were something that you had to like dial or press a button and hold up to your ear and your mouth. Um, a real live old fashioned, you know, analog phone. And uh, <clears throat> so I just sit, sat there for an hour and I, and he made me do homework. And then after the homework hour was over, I had to give him a report on what I did. And at first I hated it. I hated it. I was mad at him. I didn't like it, but um, not only did I learn to like it, I actually really enjoyed it and it made it easier for me to get my shit done. And sometimes that hour turned into two hours and sometimes that hour turned into an hour and a half or some other length of time. But I always, I got in the habit of always doing that work. And as a result, I got A's and B's for the rest of, you know, um, high school and, um, and I also more importantly kind of learned how, there is a direct correlation between putting an effort in, a concerted, focused, regular effort into anything, whether it's schoolwork or it's a skill or anything else. You put the effort in, you're going to get something back. And that was something that was, again, he taught a lot of lessons without lecturing. You know what I mean? He wasn't a big, le- he never sat me down and like <clears throat> said a lot of words to me at once, you know? <clears throat> Oh, that was the wrong sound effect. I'm still working on my skills to make all these sound effects go. I was trying to do that. Um, but anyways, he, he taught a lot of lessons without lecturing, and that was one that I really appreciated. And uh, so thank you for making me do my homework. And also thank you for being excited about me going into college. You know, I, I, was, I, I thought about going to two schools. One was University of Hawaii. I was thinking about going to Hawaii because... My grandparents used to go to Hawaii, and my mother, for a very short period of time, was thinking about moving to Hawaii permanently, and you could go to school at the University of Hawaii for like 50 bucks a credit. In retrospect, I'm very glad that didn't happen because I'm almost certain that if that had happened, uh, I'd still be in Hawaii now. I'd probably be working at some sort of a cafe. Um... And, um, yeah, I think I, I like it better how it turned out here. And there was only one other school, and it was Plymouth State at the time, college, now university. And back then, again, everything was analog. There was no common app. There was no digital acceptance. There were no emails. Everything was U.S. mail. And I filled out all the paperwork, and I did pretty good on my SATs, and I had pretty good grades. 
did enough extracurriculars. I thought I was going to be fine. And look, let's, let's be honest. It's not like I was applying to Harvard. Okay. It's Plymouth state. Um, but nonetheless, back then, uh, a lot of people were getting rejected. I had a lot of good friends, um, that did perfectly fine in school and they didn't get into college. So, um, anyway, I remember one time I got, uh, I was walking through the lobby of Portsmouth high school and I look out and I see a figure that I'd recognize anywhere. It was my dad and he's walking towards me and there's a huge, for anybody who's seen Portsmouth high school, it's a big, huge parking lot. And you can see a direct line from all the way to the end of the parking lot to the front doorway. And I can see him walking towards me and he's got something in his hand. And so I'm like, oh, that's my dad. So my dad walks in. I go say hi. And he's got a big smile on his face. And he's got this letter from Plymouth State. And he hands it to me. He's like, I wanted you to open this. And I was so excited I came right here. So he literally was home, got the mail, saw that it was from Plymouth State, and drove to the high school to give it to me. And, uh, and also, he was, he's, a, he's a smart, smart cat, intuitive. And what he said to me was, you know, I'm not sure what it says, but it's a pretty thick envelope, so I'm pretty sure it's all the paperwork you'll need to fill out. He knew that if it was a, hey, thanks for playing, but you're not going to go to Plymouth State, um, it would be more of a thin envelope with a single piece of paper. Uh, but this piece of paper were in multiples. And so, sure enough, I opened it up, and he was right. I got in, and he looked so happy and proud. And at that time... This would change years later, so I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about that as well. But at the time, he had not gone to college. He had gone to high school only. Um, but uh, that, that would then change, and I'll, I'll, again, I'll talk about that. Um, I'll talk about it now. Fuck it. So he, um, he didn't get a chance to go to college right out of high school, but he was someone that was always interested in learning, and again, he was extremely smart, and it, there wasn't anything that he couldn't learn how to do, whether it was he worked for the phone company back when, you know, you needed technicians that knew their shit to actually have a phone company. He was out there making sure the phones all worked, you know, to a, to a garden, to building a chicken coop, to having chickens, to anything. He could do anything. Um, anyways, fast forward many years, you know, he, he survives cancer, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to go to school. So he does, and he gets his degree, and then he gets his master's. And not only does he get his degree and his master's, but he knocks it out of the park. I'm pretty sure he had a 4.0, and if he didn't, I'm going to say he did anyway, uh, the entire time that he went to school. And then he went and had yet another career. You know, he worked for the phone company for 25 years, and then he uh, decided he wanted to become a teacher. So, again, he went to school, got his master's, and he went and became a teacher, and he taught for over 10 years. And the cool thing about his teaching is just in the same way that, you know, he taught me a lot of lessons without saying anything. When he was at the high school, he kind of had this room that was all of the, you know, trouble kids, kids that had pissed off their teachers to the point where it's like, you know, go go to the principal. Principal doesn't know what to do with them. Uh, they're annoying, but they're not violent, and they're just, you know, they've got problems, you know, but there's something there. So they send him to the resource room, and, and my dad had the resource room. And again, instead of, you know, having a room full of people that have been basically, 
being told, you know, you're not doing it right, probably their whole lives, uh, and here's how to do it instead, he realized that that wasn't going to be the key to making it work. He realized that he was going to have to, you know, get to them in a different way. And it came natural to him because it's, he didn't even have to think about it. So what he did was put on Bob Dylan. He had a chessboard. And eventually, you know, somebody, one of the kids would come up and they'd, so what's this game about? You know, and then he would teach some chess and they would have a conversation. And here's the, and obviously he did that for 10 years, right? And the net result of that is, A, he impacted so many people's lives during that time, so much so that every time I go downtown Portsmouth or anywhere with him, it seems, um, we'll be walking along, having a drink, having a bite to eat, and somebody will be like, Mr. Jewel. Mr. Jewel, that's you. And there's a big hug. And, oh, my God, this guy's the best, best teacher ever. You know, and, again, he he had the kids that nobody else could do anything with. It was almost like he was, you know, on, on a ranch taming, like, the wild ponies. You know what I mean? Like, no, nobody else knew how to talk to them. Nobody else knew how to get through to them. But he did. Um, and it wasn't like he was working at trying to get through to him. That's the coolest part. He got through to those kids by being him. You know what I mean? Like that's, it, it's, it, it's easy to overlook that, but, you know, he wasn't trying too hard. Mm. Pardon me while I have a sip of, um, if you guys have never tried AHA sparkling soda, no, sparkling water, sorry, there's no sugar. It's, it's very good. Right now I'm trying the, um, the version that's orange and grapefruit. And let me tell you something, folks. It's pretty darn good. <clears throat> and no, they're not a sponsor. Believe it or not, this juggernaut of a podcast uh, doesn't have a sponsor from a major beverage. Uh, but anyways, um, he really helped those kids, and it was amazing. And that proved to me a couple things. You can always have an act two or an act three. You know, he didn't let the fact that he was done with the phone company define him. He didn't say, okay, well, now I'm going to retire, and that's it. And that would have been the worst thing for him. Instead, he's like, fuck this. I just survived cancer. No one thought I was going to make it. I'm going to go do something with this extra bonus time. And God damn it, didn't he? Didn't he do something? Um, he also taught me, um, thank you for teaching me. He taught me the value of hard work and responsibility. Um I remember when I was 14, I wanted money for something. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, you want to make some money? Okay, no problem. Um, I've got a friend who's got a business, and you can work for him. And I'm like, great. So he drives me. The guy's name, I'm not going to say his name. I'll just call him EC. EC had this uh, landscaping company. And I thought, sounds all right. You know, going to mow some lawn, walk around. Nope. Uh, So they drive me to what is now the... Uh, crossing at Fox Runs, I think, or it's the Fox Run Mall. And what I had to do was dig, di- literally dig a ditch underneath the um, sidewalk. So I'm out there digging. And um, and I'm like, holy shit, this sucks. But um, that chopping wood, um, you know, if there was something to do that was work, he made it seem like it wasn't a chore. You know what I mean? Like he made it seem like there was dignity and honor um, in doing that manual labor, you know what I mean? Like, um, respect. He, he respected people that worked with their hands. He loved fishermen, loves fishermen. He loves, you know, um, people that can make things with wood. Uh, you know, it's like hand, he was a, a, an honest to goodness, like, you know, um, authentic, 
Like if you're touching it and you're making it, it's, it means a lot more than you're, if you're selling it. Right. Um, and, and responsibility, you know, it's like, once you sign up for something, it's like, you got to do it. Even if your kid signs you up for T-ball, I swear I didn't, I did not do that. I don't know how it happened. I still don't know how it happened. Um, but, uh, along with that responsibility was being punctual. Um, I, people will tell me that I'm always on time and maybe annoying, uh, annoyingly so. Um, not only am I never late, I'm usually 10, 15 minutes early and I can't help it. And that's okay. I like it. I'm not, a, I don't have a problem with it. I'd rather be 10 to 15 minutes early than 10 to 15 minutes late all the time. And that 100% comes from my dad. My dad was always early to everything. School used to start. I remember this school used to start at, I think the earliest you could get inside was like seven ten. The first bus didn't come till seven twenty five, but you could get it at seven ten. So my dad dropped me off at seven every morning, and I would stand outside for ten minutes before I could let it go in the school. Um, but you know, whether it was a baseball practice, a baseball game, um, a concert, a movie, a play, um, a tailgating at UNH, anything, always early. And, um, again, he never gave me a lecture, lecture on being on time. He just was always on time and he was always early and that resonated with me. And, and so thank you for always being on time. Um, you know, another thing that is going to sound a little bit contrary to what I've been saying up to this point, but I think it's just as valuable and maybe in some ways even more so. He taught me that it was okay to bend the rules once in a while, not break and destroy the rules and not every rule, right? Um, But there were certainly times where he showed me that you don't always have to color inside the lines all the time. And I'll give you one example of many. So I was 19 and uh, I was home for something for college and um, he, uh, he was like, yeah, let's go. So it was me and him. And I th- he had many, many friends. And I don't know if this was EC. It might have been J.O. It might have been any number of a dozen other people. But I'm pretty sure it was EC. Anyway, we went to this place that's no longer there in Rye, New Hampshire. It was called Saunders. They used to have reggae Sundays. Cool place. And we're talking 1989, right? Um and so I walk in with these two old guys, and I definitely, definitely don't look 21. I probably don't look 19. Um, and I sit down, and my dad says, oh, we'll get three beers. And the woman's like, you know, I need to see his ID. And my dad's like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. He's with me. And the woman never questioned it, never batted an eye. She's like, okay. And we proceeded to have... Um, probably six or seven beers uh, there and somehow got home. Who knows? Don't, don't ask, don't tell. Um, but we got home and we ended up sleeping on the couch and then, um, you know, uh, woke up the next day and just had a day, like a normal day. Um, but I remember thinking, you know, and we never spoke of it. It wasn't like he said, like, I'm going to try to get you in. I'm going to try to, you know, he was just kind of, taking what the defense gave him. You know, he was waiting to see how is this going to go? And then whatever it was, he worked around it. And, uh, you know, again, that was an example of, yeah, was I 21? No, I wasn't. Should I have been drinking? No, I shouldn't have. 
You know, I mean, if you went into the actual black and white parenting handbook and said, should you show your kid that it's okay to drink when you're underage? It's probably going to say no in the book, but I got it. I got news for everybody. That entry in that parenting handbook is wrong because the correct answer is, of course, um, you don't want to do it all the time. But I think it's important to point out if for no other reason than freedom of thought, right? Uh, the more you allow yourself to believe that there are all these different boundaries and, and uh, barriers, um, that mindset permeates everything. And um, he uh, always showed me, and again, in respectful ways, ways that would never hurt a person, um, of course, and always respectful to everybody and everything. But it's okay to bend the rules. And uh, isn't that the truth? Um, I also, you know, really remember fondly, um, all of the New Year's Eves that we had. I mean, New Year's Eve, he, he made those New Year's Eve when we were growing up, like so special, so fun, um, traditional and yet always a little bit of a twist, uh, traditional in that we always had finger sandwiches. We had, uh, crab meat, um, tuna salad, chicken salad. I think one year he did really good either with overtime or something. I think one year we might have had lobster, um, but there was definitely always crab, again, tuna, chicken, and those were in those little tiny little mini rolls, and he used to make platters of them, just mountains of these sandwiches, and it was just amazing. Uh, we had that. We had chips, you know, soda. We probably had Snapple which was the soda that didn't have any coloring in it, but um, it was good nonetheless. We had that. Um, and we just had a blast. And it was usually watching Three Stooges um, or some funny movie, but also listening to music and also talking and, and just kind of reflecting. And, there, and back then, it was so amazing to think about it now. There was nothing like smartphones. Like, it, if you're at a family function now when you want to hide – you can pick up your phone and look at it because most everybody else is doing that too. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a barrier to engaging with humanity. Um, but back then there were, there were no barriers. You know, there was the next chicken salad finger sandwich. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's unfortunately something that people are missing out on nowadays. They don't have that same level of communication. I mean, some people do, but I think as a, as a general rule, I think that it, we, we've lost a little bit there. But my point was that uh, New Year's Eve was always a really fun, special time. And one year he actually, and I forget exactly why this happened, but we had a few presents at Christmas, but then we also had presents on New Year's. And it was really cool. We only did it one year. Uh, and again, I don't really remember. I, can't, I don't know if it was something where they, they didn't get the shopping done in time, so they only gave us a couple things and then made up the story about, you know, we're going to get presents on New Year's Eve too, and it was like a makeup call, or if it was legitimately two different Things I honestly don't know. doesn't even matter. Uh, bottom line is that it was just such a cool um, memory when I think about it. Um, he used to have this gray truck. Um, it was a three-on-the-tree manual transmission. I learned how to drive on that uh, three-on-the-tree transmission. It used to, the linkage used to get jammed all the time. But I loved that fucking truck. And one of the reasons why I loved it so much is because when I was a kid— you know, my dad would throw a bunch of hay uh, in the back of the truck, 
Um, and sometimes maybe we did this without hay too, but I definitely remember times where there was just a bunch of hay and then me, my bro, you know, uh, my cousins, um, and maybe a couple other random friends. And we would, you know, back then the, the safety laws, they weren't quite as developed as they are today. So now if you were driving down route one in Portsmouth, going to Lego's lone Oak to get yourself an ice cream cone, or perhaps a hot fudge sundae or a banana split. David, uh, I almost said his whole full name. I, I didn't. My dad, I'm trying to keep him uh, anonymous um, if possible, but I probably just fucking blew it. But hot fudge sundae, banana splits, we tried them all. But he would, anyways, my point was, if today you saw a truck driving down Route 1 with a bunch of hay in the back and 12 kids, <laughs> you'd call protective services um, because, obviously, it's not so safe. But um, we did it. We all lived, and it was fucking fun as shit, man. It was fun as hell being in the back of that truck, just having, like, my, my family right there, bombing down Route 1, hopping out, getting an ice cream cone, and driving back. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure if there's anything better in life. If you really think about it, like you think about everything you can do with money, everything you can do with time, like just being with you know your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, driving in the back of a truck, open air, get an ice cream cone, and drive back. It's like, come on, it's unbelievable. And so, thank you for for all those trips. Um. You know, and uh, thank you also for showing that he wasn't my my dad is not a showy guy. In other words, as long as I've known him, which is as long as I've had a memory, um, he's never been one that that goes out of his way to stand out. Right. Um, And that's not to say that he's shy because he's not. And it's not to say that he's not social because he is. it's just to say that he is fine just being. He's comfortable enough with himself that he doesn't feel the need to always chirp up. Um, but if you engage him in a topic that he's interested in, you might never hear the end of it. Because, you know, he, he also had a passion for things, and, and he was, again, very intelligent, is very intelligent. But when I say was, I'm talking about when I was growing up. Just just That's a blanket statement, so I have to keep correcting myself every time I say it. Um, when I was growing up, he was, you know, able to talk about anything. And I remember one time there was an auction at the Rye Church. And it was a fundraiser for something. It was either a fundraiser for my grandmother's daycare center, Rye Community Child Care Center, I believe was the name. If there was a big blue circle sign out front, Rye Community Child Care Center. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, it's where I spent every day for many, many years after school. Um, but, uh, I, but anyway, it's, it's, when I think back, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost mind blowing, you know, when I think back to, to all these different things and I, and I, I'm, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, I, every memory that, that comes to me, because most of this is just coming right to me right now, brings up another whole host of memories and they're, and they're really intense because, you know, you don't often just sit around and think about the impact of your father in, in a way that you're trying to expound on it. So it's it's really, you know, it's interesting. Um, but uh, what I was uh, about to tell you is um, a story about 
um, one time, oh, I know what I was saying. Thank you. I was like, it's never going to come back. He got up in front of uh, the crowd for the auction, and he turned into goddamn, you know, Chevy Chase. I mean, he was so funny, easy on the mic, uh, very articulate, knew how to work the crowd, uh, knew when to keep his mouth shut, uh, knew when to let other people have the spotlight, um, knew how to make things exciting. I mean, and honestly, I remember thinking, like, whoa, like, that's my dad? Because he's never like that at home. I've never seen him like that. When we go to Moe's to get sandwiches or we go to uh, the Chinese food place to get pork fried rice and extra duck sauce. Um, But there he is. And he's owning the room. Owning it. It was just uh, a sight to behold. So thank you for showing me also that, you know, the best way to be in front of a crowd is just to relax and be yourself. And, um, and that is, that is the truth. Uh, I'm going to tell a real story that's going to kind of personify this. So I was probably, I was probably six when this happened, seven, uh, pretty young. And I was at the Rye community childcare center and my dad had either just dropped me off or, he he was he was leaving, but it's it was his mom's house. It was soon to be. I don't think quite his house, but it's a family house, and so he could have been there for any number of of reasons. But he was there, and uh, he was parked up on the side of the road. Most people came in. We had a big parking lot, but he would always just kind of park on the side of the road because he didn't want to be bothered with dealing with all the yahoos that were in and out of that place. Anyway, he's there, and he's talking to me or talking to, you know, his mom or or somebody. And all of a sudden he notices that there is a car. So somebody had parked their car in the, in the driveway and and left their child in the the car. Um, No, you know, no shame on that parent. That is a pretty normal thing to do. But the kid had industrious kid, you know, Spider-Man. He gets out of his seat or might have, it was actually a girl. She gets out of her seat and she goes up and she takes the e-brake and undoes it. Um, probably a standard vehicle back then. Most cars were standard. So e-brake goes down. All of a sudden, the car starts to go down the driveway. It's a little slope, and it's headed to uh, the street where cars were driving by. So without panicking, without screaming, without saying a word, my dad, who is a big guy, 6'1", and and back then he was probably, I'm going to give him a, I'm going to give him the best number he's ever heard, like a 225, maybe more. But uh, nonetheless, whatever his uh, dimensions were, he spun his entire physical mass around and sprinted towards that vehicle like Carl Lewis in the 1988 Summer Olympics, got into that car, put on the e-brake, and put on the e-brake, turned the car off, okay, handed the girl to my grandmother and, and got into his truck that was parked on the street and drove away. The parent who was inside talking to one of the, the workers from the child care center came out, and my grandmother was explaining what happened, and I was there listening and watching her explain it, what happened, and my dad was gone. And so what's the point of that story, Ethan? The point is that, again, there's an example of my father doing something not because... 
you know, he was looking for accolades, not because he was looking for the spotlight. He didn't want somebody to say, you're the greatest. In fact, he didn't like that. He always does things, continues to do things for the right reasons. And back then, again, he never gave me a lesson on any of this. Just the lesson was watching him run over that car, save the kid, hand the kid over and drive away because he didn't need the parent to say anything. He just, here we go. Now I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go fix some phones. And uh, so thank you for always doing, you know, the right thing for the right reason. Um, And I could give you another dozen examples just like that one. Maybe not every one of them involving a small child, some, you know, being saved from getting in a car accident, but nonetheless, lots of examples of doing that and always standing up for what you believe in. Um, Okay. So I think I've said enough. Um, There is a rather famous um, podcast host that goes by the name of I'm a Dill. And he has a, he, he has a, um, a podcast called uh, talk stand up to me. Um, and I highly encourage you guys go check it out. And, um, he, uh, also has some thoughts about our father. And so he's actually on location. He's, um, he's helping to replant the uh, rainforest in the middle of, um, Uruguay. There's a very small patch of Uruguay. Most people don't know this. That is the rainforest. And it's some of the most vital and sensitive parts of the rainforest. So Amadil is down there um, helping to, to replant it. But, but he took a moment uh, from his efforts to save the planet, and he made a recording, and I'm going to play that for you now. First, thanks for having me back on the Noella podcast. Even though it's via live to Oh, what, what, what in the world? Tape audio. I have to say, Ethan, I listen to your podcast every time it comes out. Except for the Barry watch-along one. I didn't want any spoilers. But so entertaining, so much fun. It's like being on a fly fly on the wall. Um, I'm really glad to be able to talk about one of my favorite beings in this world. Our father, Daddy-O-Dave. And his effects on... So many aspects of my life are countless and profound. I, I, you know, I could go on and on about all the different ways that he affected my choice of style or music or food and uh, how much he means to me. Uh, you know, but I decided um, I'd just share a couple of quick stories of moments uh, that he had a profound impact. Uh, in the projection of the life path that I would take. Um, One of which is, we had career day uh, in first grade. Um, We had doctors and lawyers, and I think a cop. Um, And then Dad showed up. I'm not sure if I knew he was coming, or or, uh, if it was just a hope, but he did. He showed up, and he walked with his tool belt and his hard hat and he talked for a little while um, but then he offered to show uh, us what he did so he had us follow us out had the whole class follow him outside 
Uh, and then he proceeded to gear up, putting on his spikes and his climbing belt. And he climbed up the telephone pole. Uh, then, like magic, he hooked in to the wires using his line phone uh, to call the principal's office. Unbelievable. Everybody in the class loved it. I was so impressed. That's the moment that he became a legend in my mind. You know, uh, able to do just about anything uh, and just went to a whole new level uh, at that moment. Um, And to top it off, as he was coming down the pole... One of his uh, co-workers showed up with a bucket truck and my dad proceeded to go up higher than I had seen anything go before, like Superman up in the sky. Uh, That was a moment that I truly uh, will never forget. I often think about, and if it wasn't for that moment, I don't know if I ever would have... join the the phone company and become a lineman myself um the odds are probably greater uh than not that i may have but i think that moment uh made me look at what he did in a whole new way um and then there's another another brief moment uh that had a probably the biggest impact on me and it was maybe only a five minute uh, event from beginning to end I was maybe three and a half years old and dad had spent the better part of the morning tuning up his Triumph Bonneville what happened and he had gotten it to where he wanted it to be and um he was getting ready to head out and go meet up with his friends or I'm not sure where exactly he was going uh but I asked if I could go with him and he said no because he was taking the bike and uh he couldn't really take me along I'm sure that you know he was just trying to get out but he took that he saw the disappointment in my face uh and he decided to make a compromise he said i can't can't come with me but i'll give you i'll give you a short little ride on the bike and he lifted me up and put me on the bike in between you know kind of almost on his lap in between him and uh the handlebars I put my hands on the tank uh, just, um, I just need to make a quick editorial note um, so the noise you hear in the background that is a snoring dog um, I, I don't want anyone to think that our friend Ima is you know passing gas or anything like that's happening that is his lovely uh, canine companion so that's what it is and he drove up the road and, and back, not very far, maybe a half a mile to the Cumbies, turned around and 
came back into the driveway, lifted me back off the bike and said he had to go. Uh, but for I was, that was so exciting to me to, you know, the way that he just took up off the road and, and, uh, it was like flying, uh, and I'll never forget that moment. From that moment on, I wanted a motorcycle and I wanted to be a motorcycle man. And, uh, here I am, 47 years old, 30 years of riding on the road, seven motorcycles and a scooter later, and, uh, some of my happiest moments have been on, on a motorcycle. And if it wasn't for him taking that time to see that all it would take is a quick little ride up to Cumbies to make his son happy and him choosing to do that, uh, that, that was a moment that I'll, you know, cherish forever. Um, and I was, I was trying to think of what I was going to share you know, like I said, there's countless inspiring stories of different feats of strength and mental acuity and uh, that I could regale people with about Dad. There's another story that also, I think, affected me greatly in a, in a good way. Uh, I remember going grocery shopping... Uh, once uh, at the pick and pay with him and driving home and when we were there he he god damn it why does he keep doing he had that? grabbed a, a five pack of the J.J. Nesson cream filled cream horns you know vanilla cream filled <laughs> cream horns and you know he opened up the package as we were driving down the road in his Chevy C10 and he uh had this smile on his face and he offered me one and then he took one out for himself and he had us clink them together and we ate the first one and it was so good I I loved it oh yeah uh, and then he took out another one a second one <laughs> and he started to eat it and he could tell I was looking at the there's two more left in the package he goes go ahead you can you can have the other one. <clears throat> now, by this point, I failed to notice that we were taking the long way home, uh, probably to allow us to have this time to enjoy these delicious treats. Uh, so I finish the second one, and I'm feeling quite full. Um, he finishes his second one, and there's one left. And he looks at me, and he takes the last one out of the package. He goes, I'm just tidying up. And he proceeds to eat the th- the fifth and final one, his third. And, and he finishes it up. And I remember he crumples up the packaging and tucked it somewhere. <laughs> Didn't dawn on me at the time that he was probably just cleaning up the evidence. Oh, my God. Uh, but... Nothing better than enjoying a nice little treat uh, on your way home from doing chores. Uh, and sometimes just... 
Motherfucker, why does that keep happening? Tidying up is is the way to go. Anyways, I thank you for the time to uh, speak about Dad, uh, and I look forward to hearing your stories as well. Uh, And thanks again for all the entertainment you do with uh, the No Outlet podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, E. Bye. Oh, that is very nice. That is really, really cool, and you are welcome. Um, I love that. You know, it's like some of those stories I I have never heard. Some of them I've heard in maybe a, from a different perspective uh, or in a different way, but a long time ago. So it was almost like I was hearing all that for the first time, and it was really cool. So thank you very much, Mr. Dill. Um you know, he also, that, that story about the Korean War, the reason why I was laughing at that is another thing that my dad loved, and, and I guess I'm right there with him, is he loved food. Boy, when we were growing up, it was, uh, get Chinese food, and we get so much Chinese food, like so much, Bratskiller pizza, so many. But one thing that I remember in particular, there used to be a place now uh, in Rye, New Hampshire, in the traffic circle, there's a restaurant called the Atlantic Grill. And before it was the Atlantic Grill, it was Cavaretta's Market. And then off to the side of Cavaretta's, there was a little fried fish stand that I believe ultimately was Petey, Petey Summertime Seafood first location, but I think it was like Ship Ahoy or some stupid name like that. Um, anyway, we used to go there cause you know, there was only a couple of places in Rye that you can get fried food. So we cruised over there one night and he ordered, you know, a bunch of fried clams, um, you know, got extra tartar sauce <laughs> and fries. And then on the drive home and, and mind you from his house to ship Ahoy, um, it was probably, I'm going to say maximum three miles. Um, it was probably like two and a half miles. It was not a far drive. It was in the same town. Rye is not a big town. It was right there. So I wanted to give that context before I tell you what he did. So he has me, before we leave, he has me put my seatbelt on. He's like, all right. He goes, take one of the box boxes of, I was like, he was a surgeon. And it was like scalpel, suction. He was like, take the fry clams out. Take out the French fries. Take out two tartar sauce. Take out ketchup. And then he started the car up, and I had everything out. He goes, get a fork. So I grabbed a fork, and he goes, okay, so I want you to put two crabs and two french fries and dip one end in the tartar sauce and one end in ketchup, and then hand me the fork. And so I do that, and I hand him the fork. He goes, get another fork and do the same thing. And then the entire ride home, it was a never-ending, like, uh, some kind of competition, like how many, it was like a assembly line. I was there with a fork, clams, French fries, tartar sauce, ketchup, handoff. I get the empty one, do it again. And again, we're talking about a five minute drive in a car and he wailed on an entire order of clams and fries and did the exact same thing that was done with the cream horn box, which is, folded it up and put it somewhere. It was in that truck and God knows where. It was just one of those things that got tucked away. Didn't think about it again. Um, and uh, so I, I, that, that rings true to me. Um, let's see here. 
I think we're going to call somebody and we're going to try to get one more perspective and a couple of stories from another father. We've been talking about my father, great man, but there's a lot of great fathers out there. And I feel like um, we don't have enough time to talk about every father, right? But I feel like we have enough time to talk about at least, oh, Hello, may I please speak with uh, Nicole Marie? Uh, this is Nicole Marie. Oh, hello, Nicole. Uh, my name is Ethan, and I'm calling from the No Outlet Podcast. I wanted to see if you had a few moments to talk about um, the topic of the night. You know what? I'm totally available. What perfect timing. Um, yeah, it, it really is perfect. It worked out. Uh, so we are celebrating Father's Day. And uh-huh. I just spent some time talking about my father, uh, and then my uh, my my brother got in the phone, and or actually it was a pre-recorded um, story or a series of stories, and added a whole different perspective that actually reminded me of something. And as I was no. just explaining, and 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 it was really interesting to go through that process because a lot of it was just stuff I hadn't thought about in you know forty years. But then I said, you know what? There are so many great fathers out there. I should at least try to get a story or two about another father. And so I felt like your father, um, my dear yes. friend, Paul Lamro, is a good person to talk about. So would you, would you do me a favor and, and just, you know, tell me what you can tell me and the, and the listening audience and the live studio audience uh, about your father? Well, there's so many things I could tell you about him, but I've been trying, I was thinking about like trying to pinpoint little teeny stories and I was trying to think of like big things. And so I'm kind of all over the map, um, but I definitely have some things that I was ready to share. So I'm going to just take a stab at it. Yes. So the first thing I want to say is Paul Lamoureux is, I think, the most or one of the most um, considerate, thoughtful, energetic, loving people out there. Amen. And I mean, you know him, right? Yes. And so you you feel all those feels too when, you, when you're around him. Um, Absolutely. And so when I think back to like my childhood, I, all my thoughts are so happy. Even when I was in trouble, he wasn't really, he was never yelling. He was more like disappointed Mm -hmm. and telling me why he was disappointed. And always, there was always a lesson behind everything, Mm. you know? So whether I was in like, you know, second grade and I was talking too much in school or I was, you know, doing whatever I was doing, it was always like, well, you're not in trouble, but this is something we're going to discuss because we need to figure out some strategies to make it better. You need to be able to, you know, follow the teacher's directions and do what you're supposed to do, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a huge proponent of constructive criticism. <laughs> and I remember as a little kid, like thinking, what is that? Like, this sounds terrible because basically he's insulting me or he's, he's giving me some sort of negative feedback. But at the end of the day, what he was trying to get across was that constructive criticism is really helpful. Right. And it's supposed to 
kind of gives you the opportunity to change around the semantics of what you were saying or how you were acting. Um, you know, he always taught us to never like hold a grudge. Cause like, what's the point to blame somebody is pointless. Like, why are you blaming somebody? Like, what are you getting out of this? You're getting nothing out of it. So why are you wasting your own energy on, on that emotion or whatever it was? Hmm. And I think that was really important. And it, it, even I though like when that. I was little, it drove me crazy. It was like, Oh my God, this is so annoying. Um, or he would say, I'm doing this because I love you. And I would be like, Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. And, <laughs> and then as you grow older, you're like, Oh my God, he really was. Hmm. Um, and so then, like, when I was thinking about him as a whole, I was thinking about, like, from my la my first memory to, like, current day and how all he ever wants to do is help others, make people feel good. And there's so many stories, but I think about the one time that he brought my friends and I to the Boston Garden to the mm. Kids Went Away concert. And you know the story. And it was like one of those things where it was on a school night. We were, you know, in high school. No other parents would take us. They were like, hell no. And my dad was like, he was a principal. And he was like, you know what? I'll take the kids and I'll bring work and I'll sit in the way back up in the balcony and it'll be fine. And we still talk wow. about it to this day because... It was so important to us kids to go see Sheila E. and the Gap Band. Of course. And, oh my God, all the, the best bands ever in the mid to late 80s. A live and dance party. It was legit a live dance party. And we had the best time. And he drove us in in the station wagon and sat in there and couldn't even believe, like, you know, how excited we were. He was so... <laughs> He was so awesome to just yeah. bring us. And I didn't even think about it then. I just thought, like, well, of course, somebody has to bring us. Wow. But then I was like, wait a minute. Nobody else would. And it all goes back to he understands, like, development and kids. And he's so aware of – he's just so thoughtful. And he just – the development of the kids' brains and everything that needs to happen mm. – um, He's totally aware of, and he's always behind you 100%, no matter what you're doing. Right. And if you think something's a bad idea, he'll never say, that's the worst idea ever. He'll just say, all right, well, let's, let's talk about that. Like, why do you think you want to do that? Or what are you going to get out of that? Right. How is that going to make you a better person? Wow. And so I've always found myself thinking, like, what would Paul Lamro say? What, you know, and everyone says, like, oh, what would so-and-so do? Or what would so-and-so do? But it... It really does resonate with my dad. Like, yeah. what would he do in this situation? And almost 100% of the time, I kind of sway that way. Wow. I am. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm taking, I'm trying to, um, I want you to just speak without me getting in the way. So I've been writing stuff down. Um, but, it's just I, I love hearing this stuff, and I, and I, and some of the stuff you're telling me, like, I I might have heard that Kiss One Hundred Eight story before, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I, I and again, so I'm going to let you continue. I don't want to get in your train of thought. Oh, that's okay. I was just saying, like, you know, he always was so um, he was adamant about 
you know, being home right after sports in high school, having sit-down dinner, even if both parents weren't there, most of the time they were, but sometimes, but a lot of times my dad was ballroom dance teaching, and my mom was in college when I was, you know, in middle school and high school, um, and so we were all bouncing all over the place, but we all did. We were all home, except for my dad, mm-hmm. for the most part, after 6, 6.30 every night, and it was a structured house. Yeah. Like you come home and you eat and then you shower and you do your homework and you go to bed and there's no phone and there's no this. And I think that's what's so hard mm. now for his generation is kind of losing that, <laughs> you know, that yeah. ability to control wow. what's happening in the household because there are, a gazillion devices and a gazillion things going on. And so when I'm at their house, you know, I really, really think about not looking at my phone and, you know, Mm. sometimes I don't even bring it in the house because it's like, unless there's a major emergency, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, you know, that I would need to be on my phone. And I think it's important to be present when you're with them because, you know, my parents aren't getting any younger and I think I'm so lucky to have them around and that I get to see them once a week, sometimes twice a week. I mean, I could see them every day if I didn't have other stuff to do. And it's really, you know, it's really special. Mm. Um, especially when I know so many people that don't have parents around or families around right not because they've passed away but just because they're they're far away and they're a plane right away or you know hours in a car and I think that I'm really lucky that I get to hang out with them and also want to hang out with them right you know and so it's like god isn't that the truth it's it's really it's it's really something and you know on both sides of my family I have great genes and and so I'm knocking on wood that I have my parents around for a really long time, yeah. even from now on. But I always hope that, you know, what I kind of, what's the word? Like, when people think of me, I want them to think of all the things that both my parents have taught me and that I am the person that they've wanted me to be. Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, my dad being very, um, what's, what is the word? Like he was always, he was, he wasn't shy about what he wanted to say, but he, his delivery was always amazing. Mm. And, but he was also very honest, you know, right. he would say like, stop biting your nails. Is that what you want to look like on the soccer field when you bite your nails like this? And he'd like actually like bite his nails. So I would have to look at what he was doing. (laughs) And I was like, I don't care. And he was like, well, maybe you should. Those types of things. It's kind of like, you know, and, um, he still has that today too. Like, you know what I mean? Like he has not lost that skill (laughs) at all. No. And, you know, I think back to, all of his grandkids and how important they are to him. And Justin is going to be 27 this July, the first grandson. And it's, it's truly incredible. Allison just turned 25. Mm -hmm. There's 20. Jake, 17. 
Matthew's going to be 13, and Jake, I mean, and Drew just turned nine. This, I mean, the full like, spectrum. Yes. And all he wants is for his kids and grandkids to have everything that every other one of them had. And so when they started renting up at Okemo in Vermont, mm. you know, Justin and Allison were toddlers. Well, Allison definitely was. Justin was probably, yeah, he was probably four. And we got them on skis and we did all this great stuff and life was so easy. And, and then, you know, there was a little hiatus of kids and then Sarah was born and then I was like, all right, well, we're going to keep this family condo. We're going to keep renting it and we're going to get all these kids, you know, skiing on the weekends. And then Jake came along and the same thing. And we had this really special opportunity to spend as much time as we could for three or four months during the winter up in Vermont as a big extended family in a very, you know, modest condo. And we did it. And it was all because of primarily my dad. My mom was completely behind it. But if my dad had said, you know what, I'm all set, I think she would have said that that it was okay. Yeah. But instead, he kept going and going and going. And now here we are. And that rental uh, continued until right before COVID. And now we're lucky enough to wow. be able to continue with it next year. And I yeah. think it, it means a lot. Oh my God. Does it ever. It's incredible. Right. It's yeah. not just like, it's the community. It's the family time. I mean, my dad loves every single person up in that little town of Ludlow, but tradition, to see you know, Matthew and Drew be able to continue experiencing what all the other grandkids did. Right. Is really his goal. You know? Yeah, for sure. He wants everybody to have opportunity and he wants everybody to just be the best they can be, you know, get through high school, get through college, get through everything and just be your best. And if it's not, if college isn't your thing and you find a trade, great, you know, that's, that's fine. But just like yep. persevere. I love that. And kind of fulfill what you can fulfill and, He's just got a very positive attitude and it's, and with the humor, I mean, there's so many things I can say. It's just like, I just had to kind of do a little roundabout because there's, we'd have to stay on this phone for years and years to tell all the fun stories about him. I said the exact same thing about my dad. Really? I, I before, yeah, I was like, there's no way I could do this justice in, you know, the time that I've got. And you kind of just said the exact same thing and I, I totally get it. Oh my God, it's amazing. So, but um, he's the best dad. Would you mind? Would it be all right with you uh, if I also shared some thoughts based on what you just said? Oh, sure, of would, course. Would that be okay? Okay, I know <laughs> that'd you, be great. I know you like to get to bed early. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to <laughs> keep you up. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, good. So, I, first of all, I want to say I, I really respect and appreciate your father he is just an amazing guy and and what you were talking about so i kept like i said i wanted you to, to not be interrupted but i was there were so many things that were you know kind of spawning these amazing thoughts so when you were saying what would paul lamro do what you were really describing is that your dad taught you critical thinking you know your, your dad mm. taught you how to break down situations and break down scenarios and break down ideas and break down physical problems and you know 
um, any kind of other problem. And, and that critical thinking skill that he was teaching you is lacking <laughs> in, mm. in most yeah. humans. So the, and, and you definitely have it. And it's what you were just describing is the reason why uh, is because your dad kind of instilled that in you. And that's really cool. You know, um, I also, you know, felt like the, the whole thing about not having your phones out. Like one thing that I mentioned when I was talking about my dad is for holidays back then, you know, it was, there were no phones. So if you want to, if you want to hide at a holiday now, like if you go to Easter someplace and you don't want to deal with people, you pick your phone up and look at your phone for a second, right? It's borderline right. rude, but it definitely happens. I mean, it was, I, I spent Christmas or excuse me, Easter with, with your family and I saw phones all over the place. So, but, right. back, but back then there were no, there were no phones. So when you talked about how he kind of, you know, how that really kind of gets to him, I, I totally can understand why I appreciate that. Um, I've always kind of said that your dad, if he had chosen to, he could have done anything he wanted to, but if he had chosen to be a salesperson, holy shit. Yep. He would have crushed it. I mean, he would have been president's club every single quarter, every single year. He is so sharp and he's so good at making connections with people quickly. You know, he's the master of communicating with the youth of America. He is the master. Yeah, he really is. You know, uh, when you boil it right down, it's like whether it's his amazing dance school that he had or his years in education, um, he knew how to connect with with the kids um and he still does now he's young at heart he's fun he's um he's funny um you know and he's just hilarious and you know he's got an appreciation for um you know art you know it's like he he likes to dance he's been a dancer his whole life if i'm not mistaken his mom was a dancer you know it's like he's he ran a goddamn dance program for kids for 30 years um, only to be stopped. 50. By, excuse me? 50 years. Oh, I'm so sorry. 50 years. 60. 60. 60 Jesus 60. Christ. 60 years. <laughs> Can you believe that, folks? He started when he was, he was in college. He was 21. He did not start the Lamarow School of Dance then, but his mother had that. And then okay. he was in college and needed money. And now he's 81 and he's going to, or he's going to be 81 in August. And, yeah, I think he's been teaching middle school kids dancing for 55 plus. Okay, so that program th- with all those towns started 55 years ago? I believe so. Wow. God damn it. That's yeah. amazing. So anyways, I, I love, I and he also loves, like, you know, he, but he can appreciate, you know, Ted Lasso. Like, he, he appreciates art in all forms, and I love yep. that about him. And he's not afraid to, I mean, it's like, he knows having a conversation with your father is never boring. He is either going to no. he is either going to make you laugh, right, or he's going to make you think. But it's it's going to be one of the two or both at the same time, you know. And um, I consider myself really lucky to. And I've, I've told him this, I'm telling you this. I'm telling our entire studio audience, anyone listening. I just I consider myself very lucky to be able to you know spend time with him. So. I appreciate him. Oh, he appreciates you too, honey. Um, uh, so that, I think that is, um, I think that's a lot of talk about our fathers. I think that's um, good. I think, we, I think that's, 
Me too. I yeah. think that's perfect. I think so. And I want to thank our friend uh, I'm Adil for sending in a tape. He's over in the. He's in Uruguay. Um, he's re- oh, he's rebuilding. Oh, that's right. I forgot he was traveling. Yep. He's rebuilding the the rainforest over there, but he was nice enough to send a a taped message, and we played that. And so directly, hopefully my dad is listening to this on Father's Day when it's going to be out there on the the No Outlet podcast website and every place else you can get it. Um, Dad, happy Father's Day. I love you. Thank you for everything. And to all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Have a good night.